Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every other week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren, and this is episode 37, where we chat with best-selling author Cassandra Clare. I'm really excited that we got Cassie on the podcast. I have been wanting to touch base with her for a while because she's had so many good books coming out recently that uh, I just wanted to pick her brain. But I finally was able to sit down with her and chat about her upcoming new release, Chain of Gold, which is her newest Shadowhunters book. It is set in the time right after the Infernal Devices. So it's basically the characters from the Infernal Devices, their kids, and their kids are now teenagers and it's their adventure. It takes place in 1903. So it's kind of like this turn-of-the-century Edwardian adventure. Uh, Of course, there's, you know, demon problems and romance problems and all those wonderful things. So we were able to chat a little bit about the book. It was really fun picking her brain about all of the different parts of this story. We really dig into a lot of things like plotting, about how she balances work and life and doing self-care, about how inclusive and interactive she is with her fans online, which by the way, and I say this a few times in the interview, if you haven't checked out Cassandra Clare's Tumblr, definitely go check it out because she, you know, is always doing excerpts. She's answering questions. She does extra bonus scenes. There's all kinds of cool stuff on there. So if you are chomping at the bit for the next Shadowhunters book and you want something to pass the time and you haven't checked out her Tumblr, definitely go check it out. Um, We dig into things also like her upcoming adult novel, which is unrelated to Shadowhunters. Uh, We talk about fun things like writing sex scenes and, you know, what that's been like writing YA versus adult and other things like that. Of course, we uh, also talk about some really great books that she's read recently that she recommends. It's a really fun chat and she always has wonderful things to say. So um, I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. I'm really excited to bring this chat to you. Um, What's happening on the podcast end is that I am changing things up a little bit. I'm going to be incorporating at the beginning of every episode a little mini feature. I want to start collaborating with publishers more on featuring books that are coming out that don't have the big following as much. So I'm going to be tagging those up with bigger authors who I'm interviewing so that we get a little bit more extra promo for these books because they're just as good, but maybe you just haven't heard of them. And so I'm going to be doing like little mini reviews. And on some episodes, I may even do like a little mini interview with these authors, like one or one to three questions with them to get a little taste of their book and kind of whet the appetite. And I'm really excited to be incorporating this because as we know, so many books come out every week and it's it's kind of overwhelming. And, you know, there are so many good books that get some press, but maybe not enough. And maybe there's books that aren't getting nearly enough press. So this is my little way of kind of working with the publishers and trying to help promote these books that um, I think deserve some love. So on that note, uh, the book I want to talk about today is a book that's coming out on March 3rd as well. And it is Witches of Ash and Rune by E. Latimer. And it is really cool. I've started it. I haven't finished it. Uh, The mini blurb I was sent from the publisher says, Blended with ancient Celtic mythology, the dark, edgy tone, and visceral grab-you-by-the-throat pacing and prose, E. Latimer crafts a sweeping, mesmerizing story in Witches of Ash and Ruin. This contemporary fantasy about a deadly game of cat and mouse between ancient Irish gods and modern-day witches is impossible to put down and will satisfy the hunger for more bewitching content. And honestly, it's been really fun to read because um, it's in multiple points of view, which is great. I enjoy that because you get a little insight into everybody's brain. And basically, it's in modern times. And we have 
kind of these two opposing main characters. The one, Dana, she's kind of the main, main character. Basically, she's a witch. Uh, she lives in a small town where she, her best friend is a witch with her, and they have a little tiny coven with like three or four of them. And, you know, she can't really talk about being a witch because she lives in a small town and it's kind of conservative. And her father is actually like the minister of the really big conservative church there. And so it's complete polar opposites of that, uh, of the witch life. And so it's it's a really interesting dynamic that is thrown in your face right from the start. Um, I mean, literally, she's going to the witch shop to grab some tea and there's protesters holding signs about thou shall not suffer a witch to live. It was I was like, oh man. So we have that dilemma. Um, right from the start, you are, it is revealed that she has been outed as bisexual. So she has to struggle with that. And of course she broke up with her boyfriend and then this girl witch comes to town. So of course there's something there because they're kind of vibing on each other and they're not sure what that is. And so and that's kind of a fun dynamic to read. And of course, the guy, he's not over her yet, too. So there's that. But the first chapter, man, it's it pulls you in. I'm reading this blurb and I'm like, cool. And then the first chapter, you're in the mind of like basically a hunter, like, like a serial killer guy who hunts witches. And he's like sitting in the woods watching their house like, OK, I can't wait to kill them. I need more time. And he's like, it's really creepy. And I was like, oh, my God, what is happening here? So it, it just starts there and just keeps going. And, um, you know, right after that, you're basically in school and then this crazy thing happens. And it's obviously related to witches or magic or something. She's not really sure. Uh, Dana's kind of trying to figure things out. So yeah. And then of course, this other witch coven comes to town and it, it features this other girl and they're kind of on opposing sides, but they have to work together because they've all been getting these horrible premonitions. And yeah, it just kind of goes from there. And I've really been enjoying reading it. It's been fun to read. Um, you know, witch stuff. I haven't really done a lot of that lately. And it's been really fun to kind of see how the author has pitted these ideas against each other. And um, there's a lot on the table. Like I said, she's struggling with her sexuality and embarrassed. Um, her mother apparently has been living at like a church camp for a really long time and is finally coming back into town. So we don't know what that means because it's kind of a big deal. I guess she's only lived with her dad for so long. So that's happening. Um, there's, of course, the witches and then the bad witches. and But then there's this overarching what is happening. And obviously from the blurb, it's, you know, contemporary fantasy cat and mouse game between ancient Irish gods and modern day witches. So obviously the gods are involved and they're doing something and it's really fun to kind of see the story unfold. So yeah, I, I'm really enjoying this and I think it is something that you guys might enjoy checking out. If you enjoy fantasy, if you enjoy modern fantasy, if you enjoy like a contemporary with fantasy twist, witchy stuff, gods against humans, I think all of those things are there and it's a pretty fast read. I've been, you know, it hasn't been hard and I haven't had to slog through it. So yeah, definitely should check it out. On my personal front, I am currently in Florida. I just got done with a trip in Redding, California. So luckily, cold Pennsylvania, I'm flitting around to these warm places. I I was just in California um, photographing all these really fun high fantasy shoots with animals, which I cannot wait to reveal to people. And then um, now I'm on a vacation in Florida with my family, which has been really nice. But I've been able to get a lot of work done. We have a pool and we did the water boat in the Everglades, like the big fan boat. So that was really cool and got to see a lot of birds. Uh, it's been really nice 
nice. I've got a lot of reading done. I've got so many amazing books that I've been reading. And honestly, because of this interview, I fell down the Shadowhunter well, basically, because I've read most of the big books, but there's a lot that I had missed and I hadn't finished certain series. And there was all the short stories, which I generally don't like short stories, but now that they're all out in a big book, I can kind of, you know, dig in a little deeper. And frankly, the, the short story collections are from Simon's point of view, from Jem's point of view, and from Magnus's point of view. We were the three like best <laughs> ongoing characters anyways. So then um, just have interesting things happening to them. So I'm really enjoying reading those short stories and kind of filling in the gaps. And of course, like I said, I fell down a Tumblr <laughs> rabbit hole that was endless and was like, was doing like deep cuts of stuff that she had. But, you know, she has so much cool stuff on there. But yeah, that's basically what I've mainly been reading. I also uh, got an early copy of Sarah J. Moss's upcoming adult book, the Crescent City book. Um, and I'm really stoked to read that. I started it. It's a totally new fantasy world. It's urban fantasy. Uh, it's very dense in the sense that it's a lot of interesting things that are presented to us. So I'm reading it a little slower than I normally would. And of course, it's a big book because it's Sarah. So it's like 800 pages, which is wonderful. So um, it's been really fun checking that out and uh, yeah, getting a chance to read that. And there's just, I mean, my gosh, you guys know the, the, the to be read pile is endless. So I'm just trying to chip away and do a little combo of audiobook and regular book and short stories and regular big fat books. And yeah, but that's where I'm at with my reading. So before we jump into the interview, one last thing. For those of you listening right as this episode has been revealed, I was chatting with Cassie when I recorded with her the other day, and I was talking about doing a giveaway or if there was some swag. She has an amazing giveaway that she offered internationally. I'm going to post about it separately, so you have to find it because it's not going to run very long. It's only going to run for a couple of days because we want to get this out before the book comes out for those of you who are you know, fans and you're around the world. That way there's time for shipping and everything. So uh, definitely check that out. And if you listen through the episode, some point during the episode, there will be a bonus word that gives you a lot more entry points. And it's just kind of a way for me to know that you've listened to the episode and I hope you enjoyed it. But if you're listening, listen for that, take note of that word, and then you can enter that and get a lot of extra entry points. So and good luck. I can't wait to see who the winner is and, and be excited for you because it sounds amazing, this prize. I don't want to talk in too much detail about it right now. I will be posting pictures of it, um, but it's pretty great. So yeah, check it out. Okay, now on to the episode with Cassie. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Cassie, welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I We were just reminiscing, guys, listening. Uh, the last time we saw each other was probably a good five plus years ago. Um, Cassie was in my very first author charity calendar. for. I got to photograph a bunch of authors, and she was one of them. It was really fun. Yes, I got to hold some flaming torches. It was pretty exciting. And they were actually on fire. They were my fire dancer friend lent them to me. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, cool. You want to do this? You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm game. And it was really fun. Um, and I was actually thinking about that, too, about how how crazy your life was then, because I don't know if you remember this, you, we basically had to like squeeze it in because you were like, well, I have my movie premiere on, it was like a Tuesday. And you're like, and then Sunday I'm flying to Italy for like two months. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm coming up. We're going to do it. Um, and I was just thinking when I was putting these notes together, like, 
I'm assuming as your life stayed at that pace because you've had like one to two books a year out and then you have the TV stuff and like it's just you have I feel like there's constantly something shadow hunting new coming out all the time. Like what's it been like? I mean, it has been pretty insane since then. I would say nothing quite eats up your time like movie and TV stuff because it isn't part of your regular schedule. You can sit down and make like a schedule for yourself of your writing. And I usually do, you know, saying like, this is what I'm going to work on this. This is what I'm going to work on that. But things like I have to go to my movie premiere or I have to consult with these producers is never on your schedule. So it totally messes up your time in a way that you're not anticipating. And in some ways, you know, it's like, oh, those are good problems to have, but (laughs) it could definitely be, be a bit crazy making. So I would say that uh, right now my life is is pretty is still pretty insane, but it has actually calmed down a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I um, to prep for this interview, I you know I wanted to make sure I was up to date on my shadow hunter stuff. Um, I was just like looking at the level of the quantity of books and because you have like the short stories that then became the books and you have the like Malik stuff that happened, like the little in-between book. And it was just like every, there's like two books a year. Plus you had the like middle grade stuff with Holly. So there's just, it was just amazing how much, how many books and your books are, your like major trilogy books are not, nothing to sneeze at. They're pretty hefty. <laughs> yes, they are. I'm just I'm so excited to talk about Chain of Gold. So we're talking a couple weeks before it comes out. It comes out on March 3rd, and it is the first in your new Shadowhunter trilogy. It is kind of revisiting the older series that people love, the Infernal Devices. It's like the next generation. It's their kids. It's turn of the century. It's an awesome time period. We get to see these characters we love in a different way, but it's mainly focusing on their children. So like, for people who maybe aren't familiar with the Infernal Devices or maybe know what Shadowhunters are but haven't read the books, like what is the little – like the pitch you give for the book? I mean, <laughs> it's, this is what we call a high concept here. Um, but yeah, it's – I usually I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of demon fighters. They're part angel. They're part human. They've been around for a thousand years. They keep themselves secret from the ordinary world that they call the mundane world. Um there's also, you know, the world is full of supernatural creatures they call downworlders, like, you know, your warlocks, your vampires, your werewolves. But what their job is really is to fight demons who are these, you know, sort of evil creatures that come into our world determined to destroy it. And so that's their mandate, keep the world safe from demons. But of course, it's never that simple. <laughs> and uh, they are, we always find ourselves, you know, with characters who are caught up in some very complicated, uh, I don't, it's hard, I, I don't want to spoil anything from Chain of Gold, but like <laughs> it, anybody who's read any of the books knows that these characters are going to find themselves caught up in a complex web of good and evil in which they find themselves having to make some difficult choices and nothing is really as it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put your characters to the ringer. It's, wonderful (laughs) to read. How how was it kind of going back? I know you've kind of done little short stories in the collections in this kind of earlier time. But what was it like to actually plot out and finally give these characters their full length books? It was I mean, it was really exciting and fun. I loved writing the Infernal Devices. I was so excited about doing a historical book because I love historical fiction. I feel like it's the closest we can get to time travel. Mm. And 
I remember that when I first got the idea for the Infernal Devices, I had just, I had written, you know, three books in the Shadowhunter world, the uh, City of Bones, City of Ashes, and City of Glass, mm-hmm. draw modern day. And I went to my editor and said, I want to do another trilogy. And she was like, oh, great. Another trilogy about, you know, Clary and Jace. And I was like, well, you know, yeah, I kind of would like to write more about them. But actually, I was thinking about a trilogy that's set in 1878. And she was very, like, really like very (laughs) puzzled and I was like I don't think of urban fantasy as a thing that has to be modern it can take place in any time period Mm -hmm. and it's very much to me these books are often about characters interacting with the cities that they live in so in uh Mortal Instruments it's New York in The Dark Artifices it's Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and Infernal Devices it's it's Victorian London which was sort of this you know, Ur city of the, you know, industrial revolution. And so I love that time period. I love the clothes. I love the yeah. way, you know, the language. I love the technology and the way, you know, it sort of stands as a time period in between what we think of as, you know, pre-industrial and post-industrial history. Um, so I was super excited about how I could combine that <laughs> with demons and demon hunting. And I love the characters. You have Will and Tess and Jem have a very special place in my heart. Yeah, they're great. And so I really enjoyed it. And when I was done, I thought, you know, I really want to write the, you know, a story about their kids, about the last hours, because I also love the Edwardian period. Mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't get enough love. You know, people tend to focus on the Regency or their Victorian yeah. period. Or the, Agreed. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Or they pop ahead to the war years, you know, and there's actually this great time period, the Edwardian period, which, you know, Art Nouveau was flourishing, you know, they called it the Belle Epoque, the beautiful time, because it was between sort of the Industrial Revolution and the First World War that really changed everything. Mm. And so I really love that time period. And so I had this, you know, few for me, usually what, what comes first is characters and then the story kind of creates itself around the characters. So I had the ideas for, you know, Cordelia, James, Lucy, Matthew, and they're the sort of core characters of the last hours. And uh, it was I idea I had that really, like I when I started, went to work on this book, I realized I had written the beginning of it in 2014 and it had taken that wow. long for me to be able to have enough time in my schedule to actually go back and finish the book. You had written the beginnings of this, this the Chain of Gold? Yeah, in 2014. I was living in London, and I was really enjoying being there. And it was actually not that long after we met. Yeah, Um, I'm just like, that's so cool. Like, that's amazing. This book is, I mean, it's lovely. It's finally come to fruition. But wow, that's a long time to be waiting to bring us these guys, you know? Yeah, it's a long time to to germinate an idea. So it's, I think it's good, because in some ways, I was always thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It was great to be able to finally bring that stuff out. But it was weird also to have it stretch out, you know, to have it take so long, basically. Well, and, you know, like you said, it's hard to, it's kind of a, in the sense of the era, like you said, you wrote your first, that first trilogy back then in the Victorian. So by default, when their kids are old enough to write about, it's right smack dab in the Edwardian. And you're like, oh my gosh, how can I, and like you said, you're in London. I mean, I can see that being so visually just creative and just helping, you know, manifest, see the characters running around or whatever. So yeah, I, it's, that's amazing. It's, it just goes to show too, like how, how long sometimes things come to have to come to, to see the light. Um, 
I'm just thinking about like creative process and stuff, but um, kind of on what you just said, one of the notes I have here, um, before we go on, actually, uh, I want to say to those listening, I fell down the craziest rabbit hole. I was telling Cassie this before we started recording. So she has an amazing Tumblr. And she is always posting snippets and like little excerpts and answering fan questions, um, which is great. And I definitely, like I said, I want to talk a little more about that a little later. But I was just amazed at how much content there is in this world besides the books and then the short stories and just there's so much. And I was just thinking about the plotting and like how you kind of had to develop everybody and like figure things out. And I mean... I don't know. Is there having, I'm assuming because you had written back in the modern time and then you were going back to that era and we kind of sort of could see some evolution. You have a, like a teaser family tree, which <laughs> is mm-hmm. a teaser and we can, yeah, we'll get into that. It's not a hundred percent accurate, which you've said multiple times, but it's still kind of a gauge to be like, Oh, who, where did people come from in the modern era? And it's fun to look at. I'm, I'm thinking about like, is there was there still room for the surprises as a writer? Like, you know, like just kind of seeing where the story goes or was it is your, you know, did you kind of have the more constraint because you had to fit things in? Well, I will definitely say when I first wrote up the family tree, it was before I had the idea for the last hour. So I thought, okay, there's a little family tree and we'll have a general idea of how the characters from the Infernal Devices tie to the characters from the Mortal Instruments. Okay. And then later I was like, actually, I really want to write this story. I started, you know, <laughs> these characters started to grow in my head and I kind of knew their names from the family tree. So that was interesting. You know, I, I knew who they were. Um, and then they started to sort of grow personalities yeah. and I was like, Oh no, like, you know, like I don't <laughs> want to be hemmed in by this family tree. So I thought about like, how do I do this and keep it a story that will still surprise people and I decided like there's an in-story reason why this family tree isn't accurate. Mm. And so it gives us a, I would say that it's accurate in the sense that the, it gives us the names of the kids of the um, characters from Infernal Devices and their ages, but it's not accurate in terms of like when they die, who they marry, what happens to them. That stuff is all kind of across, like some of it's, some of it's right. Some of it's not right. Some of it is, <laughs> It hints at something that's right. Um, it's kind of, a, it, it's interesting. So basically it became a challenge I had to play with, you know, in terms of like, well, okay, if I've decided these people aren't married, then why does this family tree say they're married? Mm. There has to be a reason for that. So it winds up being a, a bit of a, uh, a hopefully fun mystery in which people will be like, oh, I see that this happened and I see how that was, how that became the the historical record, even if it wasn't the truth. Man, I'm just thinking as a writer, that must have been a fun challenge when you said, oh, I don't want to be hemmed in. So how can I fit in with what I've already created? Like to like you said, going, especially once you start to know who the characters are, but you haven't necessarily told their story yet, being like, well, I actually do want these two to end up together. But hmm. maybe do I want these two? Like you can play with that, which is very cool. I'm really curious. I know you've said like, we'll all know by the end of the trilogy and all of that. It's just interesting as a reader who has like kind of stumbled upon that being like, oh, that's interesting. And, and you know, I found it helpful to look at the family tree, but to know that that it's not not all is as it seems. I was just really curious as uh, if it changed your writing process at all, I guess. I think that definitely it was a different writing process writing these books because there is some stuff that is set in stone. There was nothing, you know, like there was, 
no way of changing the backstory. You know, yeah. the, the things that happened with Will and Tessa, you know, um, with Cecily and Gabriel, who's Will's sister and her husband, with Sophie and Gideon, who are the parents of these characters, there's no changing their backstory. There's no changing the kind of people they are. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously the kind of people that your parents are forms part of who you are as a person. So I would say that it was an interesting challenge because in previous books, I've been able to create any kind of, you know, parents or backstory I wanted for the characters that I had. In this story, the character had to flow from what I already knew mm -hmm. about their family life. Well, and also, too, um, with these books already being out in the world and, you know, people connecting to them, they would want to see that. I know that one of the biggest questions you've gotten from what I've seen on the Tumblr, at least, is like, are are we going to see more? Because people love the characters from the Infernal Devices. And they're like, are we going to see more of these people? Are we going to see more? And you're like, sort of. I mean, they're in there. We're going to get tastes of them, but it's not their main story anymore. Um, but yet, knowing that these people are beloved and wanting to, you know, honor who they are and what you had created with them. I'm sure that would have been, I'm just thinking that must have been kind of, a, like you said, challenging, but hopefully fun. <laughs> like these books are, are, uh, people are just seem really excited to kind of revisit this time in these older characters, just all the buzz I've seen. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it was as fun for you making it as it seems to be for all of us fans. I mean, it was really, it was fun for me. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, when, when you've written this many books and this many connected stories, like I had a little bit of this with the dark artifices yeah. because the main characters, Emma and Julian were people who knew Jason Clary. So I got a lot of, are we going to see Jason Clary? Are we going to see Magnus and Alec? Yeah. Are we going to see Simon and Isabel? And again, I was like, you're going to see them, but it's not their story. Yeah. And the first book, there was a lot of like, are they going to be in it? You know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but it's true that by the time we get to the second book, people don't want to see those characters anymore. They want to see the new characters. They want and to I'm know. Hoping, yeah. Right. People, the people's questions shifted from being about the characters they know to being about the characters that they now knew. And I get that because before you go into a story, I mean, before Infernal Devices came out, I got a lot of people saying, I don't want this book. I want another book about Jason Clary. And I was like, well, I hope you'll like Will and Gemma and Tessa. And, you know, they did, you know. So I feel like as long as you have readers who are willing to give new characters a chance and by and large my readers are, which is great. Um, you know, you just want that moment, that time for them to be able to fall in love with the new people. And uh, they can still love the previous characters. And you do get to see, you know, Will and Tessa and Cecily and so on being parents, but it's definitely true that this is not their story. Um, you know, I think that nevertheless, the people whose story it is are really, you know, hopefully I find them, you know, lovable characters. And I hope that the people reading the book will love them too. Um, I especially, okay, never mind. I, I'm going to end it there. I hope the people reading the book will love them too. <laughs> You're like, no, I can't. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very fun. And as you know, having read, you've put out so much great ahead of time content. Um, so for those of you listening who are maybe fans of the of her worlds and her shadow hunters, but like, haven't dug around online, go check out her Tumblr seriously, because she has excerpts, she has like little backstory teasers, there's actually a really nice extended excerpt that's like the first chapter and a half of the book. So there's a lot to whet your appetite in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's been really lovely kind of getting to know these new characters. And I am I am all here for it. I'm I mean, I love 
I love the original three. I mean, I've loved I loved all of them. I I used to work in Borders, Borders Bookstore, RIP forever, and uh, yeah. I I remember reading. You know, City of Bones was um, I had a, one of the booksellers was like, you need to read this book, and because I was kind of the YA fantasy person, and it, I was just like, yep, love it, sold forever, you know. And so I was one of you know when it was the only one, an OG person, and I'm cool with that. And I'm, I love them all. But it's been really fun to kind of revisit these older characters that are, I think, very beloved. So um, now I wanted to talk about kind of what we I mentioned earlier about um, how you just really have been so gracious with your readers and you provide, besides this content, you are constantly answering questions. And <laughs> I just love that you do that. Because seriously, I was I've actually sat and thought about it. And over the the 10 years of interviewing authors that I've known, I don't know of one that is that consistently over the years, replying to questions from fans. And it's just, I, it's wonderful. And I love that you do that. I guess I just wanted to like pick your brain on like the importance of that to you. And is it like a, is it like a relief for you or just to help people, you know, people get more clarity? Or is it just a way to connect with people? Or I don't know, I just I love that it's something that you do. I'd say it's a way to connect. It uh, helps me clarify things in my mind. Hmm. You know, sometimes when I'm, you know, just, you know, explaining to someone why something is the way it is, it helps me. Uh, writing is, you know, 50% yeah. in- instinct and 50%, you know, plan. And so <laughs> it helps me clarify the part of it that, you know, is, uh, you know, a plan. Um, like, you know, I, you know, I have a question about a character. Why did they do this thing? And I'm like, okay, well, here is why, you know, it's about the character's personality and the kind of person they are and why they make these choices in these mm. circumstances. And I think in a lot of ways, it's good for me to, you know, say those things, um, by, you know, saying them out loud, it helps me figure them out. And I think that it is also about connecting, you know, like I remember when I was a kid and, and a teenager and I read books, I would have loved to be able to ask the author all the questions that I had. Yes. And so I want to be able to provide that opportunity as much as I can for people to be like, okay, your question is important. You know, what you think is important and I want to interact with it. I try to be careful not to tell people what to think. You know, I want to say your reading is valid. Mm. You know, I may not, I may not even be my reading, you know, like, you know, you believe Jace is a chicken salad sandwich. I want to respect that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like well, I may not be my reading, but like, <laughs> I want you to have, feel like the book that you have in your head belongs to you. Um, but I can tell you my reading and you, you know, you can tell me yours and we can kind of like connect on that level. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that I would have really loved that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I mean, that's one of the reasons I do the podcast. I love picking the brains of the creators of these books I love, like simple as that. It's just fun to have that conversation. And I just love that you, I guess, make yourself very accessible in that way and um, providing all the extra content as well. So it's just really great. Um, and speaking of that, it kind of gives you some room to play. I've noticed that you've gotten some, um, you're like getting a little more explicit online. There's some like good like love scenes that are kind of not in the books that you've teased and I've stumbled across. I was like, man, this stuff is really good. It's kind of like more rated R. It's a little more mature than general YA writing. Not that you shy away from things necessarily in the books, but um, you can kind of dig into that a little more intimately, not to say a funny word, but so to like, speak. yeah, like you can. And I, I just, you know, it, it seems like a good 
creative space for you to kind of, you know, visit those side stories as well, which is very cool for the reader. Yeah, it's interesting because it started, um, I was was in Brazil and I was uh, doing a tour there. I was really tired and I got the idea um, that it would be fun to write a story about what happened with Jem and Tessa after the very end of Clockwork Princess? Because we know that they, you know, meet up again in like in the modern day. And I was like, well, what happened? So, you know, I, I decided to write a story where we follow them back to their apartment where they, you know, reconnect and get intimate, which they never had a chance to do before. And people really loved it. It's great. It really is a great story because it's, yes, it's like, you know, sex and stuff, but it's also the intimacy level, the vulnerability of revisiting these characters that people were so emotionally connected to. It was just, it was such a nice treat, I thought, as a reader. I was like, man, this, it just felt like the postscript, you know? Yeah, I think that, you know, the idea, the best, to me, the best sexual sex scenes in books are about emotion. And, you know, the actual, and it is true that, you know, in a YA book, you can only go so far with what you are writing. And the important thing, you know, about those kind of scenes is how they change the relationship between two people. And it's often true that you you can't get into that in immense detail and explicitness in a YA book doesn't really belong there and it'll wind up getting your book moved out of the Y section, which is not something you necessarily want, you know, and you want your readers to, who are, you know, younger to feel comfortable reading. But for the readers that I have online who skew older and often ask for, you know, to, for these scenes, I don't mind. I, I have kind of fun writing them. Like I wrote one about, so there, there are these characters, Mark and Kieran in the dark artifices. And we know that they have a relationship. They, show up in the first book already having been together for several years um, as two people who were in the wild hunt in fairy. And I was like, well, what is the first time that their relationship changed from being platonic to being romantic? And so we, we don't get that moment in the books, but it was fun for me to pull it out and write it as an actual love scene, you know, on the, on Tumblr. And I feel like it did clarify some things about them for me. And I mean, and again, that was one of the things I stumbled across in the past day or two when I was double checking that I had read all the fun backstory <laughs> stuff for, for, you know, Chain of Gold, because you've written so much stuff. I was like, what is this? And then I was like, all right, I'm reading this immediately. And it was excellent. And it was just, you know, again, it's about the intimacy. And it's about how they were both like in love with each other and neither knew it. And it was great. Um, but it was also very, like you said, passionate and beautiful. And also a little, you know, like wicked smiles and love. You know, it was great. <laughs> it is. It's just I love that, you know, you have this, um, I don't know, this, this extra content space. I mean, like I said, between answering questions and providing stuff that is, I just think it's really great that you are um, connecting so much with your, um, with your readers and your fans. It's great. It's fun. We have like, you know, it's, it's a good way to build a community. I feel like, and I like, you know, being part of it while not, while trying not to stick, you know, myself in too much because I want them to feel like they have the freedom to play around and say what they want without me watching. But you know, it's close to the book or the release of Chain of Gold. And so people's questions have been getting way, way more specific, you know, yeah. that I can't that I can't answer because it's uh. a big spoiler. So instead, every time I get a real like spoilery question, I divert it to the topic of Pickles, the Kelpie who lives in the Devil Tavern <laughs> in a big vat of gin. And so we have this like long ongoing like inside joke now in the fandom about Pickles and his life and his romances. Oh, my gosh. I feel like did I see a a tarot card with him on it 
I think yes, in the scrolling, Cassandra Jean wrote one or drew one. I was like, is that like a Kelp- I, Kelpie? I was scrolling. I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm coming back to that. And I didn't make I, it back. I begged her to do it because I was like, people need to see pickles. It's really important. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love that so much. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Cassie. Um, I just wanted to plug really quickly my really cool Etsy store. It is literally called the Ink Feather Shop on Etsy. Um, Cassie and I talk about the author calendar that she was in with me, where I got to photograph her for this charity calendar, and I have a lot of extra signed swag. So if you want a signed print of that photo of Cassie that she signed, I have them in my shop. I have them on bookmarks, and I have postcard sets, and I also have some book plates from some other authors. I don't have any for Cassie, but there's a bunch of other authors. They're all list authors. They're all New York Times bestsellers. They're all fantasy authors. So there's a lot of really cool options on there. So definitely check that out. Go to etsy.com and check out the Ink Feather Shop. Um, And before we go, I wanted to reveal the secret word for the entry for the giveaway. Again, the giveaway is only happening within the first few days of when I release this episode. So if you're listening it a little late, I apologize that you missed it, but we wanted to try to get the prize out before the book came out. So hopefully there's a winner can actually appreciate the book a little ahead of time. Okay. So the word is actually a person, a being, a, a sentient creature in a sense. That's really hilarious. And we talk a little bit about it in the interview. It is Pickles the Kelpie. <laughs> So that's the phrase pickles or pickles the Kelpie is what I want you to enter on the giveaway for those extra bonus points to tell me that you listened to this episode. And I do hope that you're enjoying it. Okay, now that that's all done, back to the interview. You're, you know, kind of in, in, in alignment with this. I mean, it sounds like you're very, you're always writing, whether it's answering the questions or the side stories or obviously your books. And like I said, you have a lot coming out. I mean, are you still, do you feel like you have your writing system down at this point? Uh, Is it like you feel good about it? Do you still get writer's block or struggle with that at all? I mean, I think every book unfortunately provides a unique challenge and it's not possible in some ways, as I have discovered, to create like a formula that's going to work for you for Mm. every book. I think that there are definitely aspects of writing that I've, you know, figured out work better for me. I'm definitely an outliner. Hmm. You know, in this world, there's sort of there are plotters and pantsers, they say people who fly by the seat <laughs> of their pants, and people who plot and I am a plotter. So I have this, you know, very detailed outline for uh, chain of gold and chain of iron I'm working on right now. The outline is 60,000 words long. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> it's literally a middle grade book. Oh, yeah. No, totally. That's Holy like, crap. That's a magisterium book right there. Wow. And I was, like vaguely horrified when it was done, but it's been really helpful. I love how I like having it and it helped me work out a lot of the kinks of the plot before I started the actual writing process. So definitely a plotter. And that is how I, that is how I partially avoid writer's block because for me, writer's block is when I can't figure out what happens next. I'm just like, I don't know what, what is it? What, what's going to happen next? What occurs next to get my characters to the end point that I want them to get to, but we're, you know, in the middle and I don't know, you know, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. And having worked that stuff out already in an outline is extremely helpful for me. And it does help me be able to write, um, as many books as I do. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense to, um, especially if you're like jumping back and forth between, multiple series like if you had you know because you're you're not necessarily writing sequentially either when you have multiple books in a year so um that makes sense too so you know exactly where to get right back in um 
yeah, I just, I was just thinking like, man, you have, you just write so much. There's so much happening. And like, again, these books are fat and you have a really great, I mean, great for us. I don't know how it is for you, but like great publishing schedule, I was going to say, because it's, you know, I feel like I'm always seeing something new and it's, it's wonderful. But um, yeah, I could imagine that would actually would be hard without, without an outline, especially because you, at this point, especially because there is so much that we know as readers. And it's like, even if it's in a time period or with characters that you haven't really developed, there's still, like you said, so much backstory and things that we know and little clues and all of that. So um, do you find that your work-life balance has been able to be maintained? Are you able to kind of take the self-care days when you need them or take the personal, you know, breaks that you need? Not as much as I should. I mean, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, I am definitely kind of a workaholic and I will work all of the time. And if not (laughs) prevented, um, I think that definitely I had, uh, a complicated time last year when I, you know, I've had endometriosis for most of my life and, you know, my, and it was creating a situation in which I was too uncomfortable and unpained to work. Mm. And I just couldn't concentrate. And for me, it was really a week terrible because, you know, that's what I do is, you know, I, I'm like, this is how I process my thoughts and my feelings is to get up and put them kind of into my writing. And, but I felt like, you know, I think that pain is, you know, certainly one of the most distracting feelings we can have. It's very hard to push past that. And I just kept thinking, you know, like, okay, I'll take more painkillers. I'll, you know, push through the pain. And finally, you know, I mean, my friends that I work with every day, Holly Black and Kelly Link, are, were like, you have to actually do something because, yeah. you know, you're not living a, a life that, like, that you can enjoy at all. You know, basically, I was sort of like dragging myself up in the morning, working until I got exhausted and then crawling back upstairs and going right to bed. Hmm. That was it. And I, I, you know, kept putting off doing what I knew that I needed to do, which was have surgery, because I kept thinking, I can't take that time right now. I can't take that time right now. I can't take that time right now. And they were like, you will never be there will never be a time where you can take that time. You just have to make make it. And so I think, you know, my friends were incredibly helpful there and I did wind up pushing back my books, which I hate doing, you know, I, I don't like, you know, delaying stuff, you know, for my readers, but I think, I really do think it was the right decision because doing that meant that, you know, now I feel better and I'm able to, you know, give these books the attention that they deserve and I'm not writing in a kind of fog. So uh, I think that, you know, as writers, it is important for us to remember to take that time that we need, uh, look after our health. And, you know, it, it is an odd thing that it's kind of a specific to the kind of work that we do, but we do tend to get so much in our own heads, yeah. I think, and caught up in, in our imaginary worlds. But, <laughs> you know, we still have to live in these bodies. <laughs> we're, we're not brains in jars. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think that, um, absolutely like, you know, making sure that you stay healthy is important. Taking time for your mental health is important. I always kind of liken it to, you have to put gas in your car. Like, you know, you're writing, you're driving your car at, there comes a point where you're, you know, you get in your car, 
you drive, you don't put gas in, you get in your car, you drive, you don't put gas in. Eventually you're running on fumes and you don't want to be there. So I think of putting gas in the car as taking personal time, taking time to read, taking time to travel, taking time with your family. Mm -hmm. So like if Holly is exhausted, I'll be yelling at her like, put gas in your car. You have to put (laughs) gas in your car. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I I call it, you know, I use the 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 well analogy. It's very much the same idea of like, you know, you have a finite amount of water in the well. And if you keep using it up, you have to fill the well, you have to. And I usually, you know, it's usually like you said, ways of either self care or doing, you know, creative tasks that, you know, give you stimulate you, whether it's reading books or watching shows that you love or going to a museum or travel or whatever. Yeah. So you can't, like you said, you're not, we're not brains in jars, especially, you know, as a creative, because it is a lot of mental, it's all mental energy. I mean, it's just constantly focusing and, you know, pouring out. And I can't even imagine how hard that must have been too, when you were on meds, because just like you said, the foggy brain, it's just like, oh, the worst. It's, it's bad because you're affected, but you can't tell the way you're, how much you're affected because your brain is fogged up. So you can't like see it yourself, you know, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, I look back on it and I'm like, oh my God, like how did I get, you know, that far really without doing something about it earlier? But for me, I mean, it's still a work in progress. I still, you know, work yeah. a lot and I know that I need to take more time for myself and I know that I need to take more time to read, take more time to, I love the idea of yeah, go, going to museums. I'm like, oh yeah, what a great idea. Mm. That, that was a great way to like put gas in your car. And yep. for me, one of the big things is travel. I yep, love traveling. Too. Yep. And one of the things I've done to kind of try to create some space is like block off some times during the year when I'll be traveling. And so I'll send that schedule to my publisher and be like, we're going to work around these, you know, kind of blocks of two weeks here or, or there. So my husband and I have been, uh, we just got back from a trip to England. And then in December, mm. we took a three week trip through Southeast Asia that was amazing. And oh, I really wonderful. Feel- wow. Yeah, it was wonderful. And I, that kind of thing, like when I come back, I feel a real like difference. I'm like, right, I really feel re-energized and I feel like mentally like reconnected with, uh, you know, that part of me that is creative and mm. it's really helpful. Do you actually disengage from work while you're traveling? I do. I don't answer my email. I don't wow. look at it. I download a bunch of books before I go that sometimes they're vaguely connected to something I'm working on. Sometimes they're not. You know, like I might read a bunch of books that are set in the Edwardian period, but otherwise I'm not doing anything work-wise. And I have this very weird thing. (laughs) Maybe it's not that weird. I'd be fascinated to talk to other writers actually, but like I'm not writing while I'm away. I don't bring my computer with me, but I do bring my iPad so that I can read. And if I have an idea for something in a book, I don't write it down. I make a, I record myself talking about it. And then when I get home, I'll play back those recordings. Hmm. I mean, if anything, it's more of a, uh, like, it doesn't pull you out of your relaxed time because you can just go blah, 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 and then keep going as opposed to like stopping and going and writing. And it's maybe it's a different way of like recording the thought and not losing it without getting into your writing vibe again, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think it, it doesn't put you back in that mental space of writing, but it, you do get the idea out so that later, later when I listen to it, I'm either like, that's a really great idea. I'm like, mm. that was a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but like, it doesn't matter if even 50% of the ideas are good and oh usable. Gosh. It's it's a worthwhile thing to do. And it's interesting because I'll be like, huh, it's so interesting. The stuff that popped into my mind while I was kind of 
detached from the actual act, act of writing. Oh, I mean, I'm not even a writer. And I, I'm currently in Florida. I live in Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my family for the week. And we went on one of those uh, airboat tours yesterday, where they take you through the Everglades and stuff. And there, I didn't know this until we were out there in the middle of literally nowhere, that there are like privately owned vacation huts, like fishing camps out in the Everglades that are like fully functioning vacation cabins up on stilts with a boat ramp because it's the only way I can get to it. And I was just like, what are these people's stories? Like <laughs> I and I was like, I, I honestly, my brain went to like a weird climax scene in some urban fantasy that doesn't exist. Or maybe it does, and I just haven't read it yet, where, like, they go out into the Everglades, they steal a fan boat, and something's hidden in the end of the cabins or something, or there's a monster. Oh. And I was like, this is so – because it's just so freaky. There's alligators and birds and just water, and there's, like, literally nothing around you. And then there's this cabin just, like, every once in a while. And I was like, what? Who are these people? Like, what are what is their story? So I can only imagine, for someone whose brain is wired that way, the little things you're picking up, especially with travel. It really is such a – I'm totally on the travel board myself. So it's just like it's so stimulating and visually inspiring and it just fills you up. But that's honestly, that's why I said museums too. Like that was one of my 2020 fill the well things was like, well, even if I'm not traveling, that's a good like once a month, I'm going to try to go and take like an afternoon and like do something like that because it's only going to help me, you know, <laughs> like in my yeah. creatively, you know, like to give my brain a break and just enjoy – Beautiful art. I think right now one of our local museums has like the 50 best uh, animal photos from National Geographic ever. I was like, how can I not go see that? That sounds awesome. You know what I mean? I, so I would love that. Yeah. And you actually, I, I mean, in in my experience, I've gotten really interesting ideas from museums. I remember one of the, my favorite museums in London is the Victoria and Albert because they almost always have a costume or a, I guess it wouldn't be costume. It's, it's closed through history exhibit. And they're really fascinating. And I remember mm -hmm. going to see it and having all of these ideas for like what I could, you know, do with kind of clothes and how they worked and whatnot in infernal devices, because they had all of these, you know, Victorian clothes that were there. And there was, uh, you know, something about that that was just incredibly, you know, for whatever reason, inspiring. Hmm. I'm curious, now that you're writing in the Edwardian period, not the Victorian period, what has been the most interesting or surprising element to that newer era that you thought that was really fun to write? I think that we're often surprised when we look back and realize how many things existed in 1903 that we think of as modern inventions, but actually aren't. Hmm as much as we think. So I kind of have to be careful because I'm like, oh boy, electric lights, you know, the telephone, radio. And I'm like, oh, they have all of this stuff now, you know, like I, they didn't in the infernal devices, but they do at this juncture, those things are available. Uh, so I have to make, you know, some considered choices about, you know, what, what technology I'm going to make available to the shadow hunters. You know, there are cars, you know, that's actually <laughs> a huge change. So, you know, I was like, what am I going to do about cars? Do they want cars? Are they going to use cars? How's this going to work? Um, you know, it changes the the traffic patterns of the city and the like how long it mm. takes to get from from point A to point B, um, which is something I'm basically constantly thinking about because they're going all over London. And I'm like, all right, how long does it take to get from such and such place to such and such <laughs> other place? Realistically speaking. Oh, my gosh. It's so glamorous. The glamorous I life. Know. The glamorous <laughs> life of a writer. Constantly, like, you know, 
How fast would I go in a car? (laughs) And being like, how long does it take to walk this? How long does it take to drive it? And there's no option on Google Maps for how long does it take to do this in a horse and carriage. Wouldn't that be great? They should have like, you know how Google does the uh, holiday celebrations where their headline changes. They could do like a, I don't know, like a celebratory. Like Exactly. Like if you're writing a historical novel, this is how long it takes to get from X place to X place in a carriage. Um, So there's that. There's also... You know, just the like, even though Shadowhunters don't interact with mundanes enormously, the changing sort of social consciousness of the era nevertheless bleeds in. You know, this is the era of suffragettes. You know, they're beginning, mm. women are beginning to demand the vote. This is the era of the Boer War, this really vicious fighting in, in South Africa that's yeah. going on where the, you know, English did not distinguish themselves particularly well and there's war protests and things like that and so they're they're still interacting with that stuff as it exists in the world around them even though they are not you know mundanes themselves the women aren't shadowhunter women aren't seeking the vote because they have it but nevertheless they're seeing what is going on around them and so i try to you know include that so because you know creating the sense of a historical era is like creating your own world in a way. It's like high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Everything is in the details. You know, what's the money? What's the, what's tra- what's traffic like? What's the, the air quality, the weather, the transport, what railroads are working? There's a met subway now. How does the subway system work? All of that. So, you know, it's it's been, even though I did a ton of research for infernal devices, it's been, not been like I could rest on that research. I had to do a whole other layer of research about what's what's different now. Well, think about 20 years ago now, like, yeah, you know, the turn of the century. I, I mean, again, the weird to say because it's true, but it's literally our, our turn of the century. And, you know, I mean, you know, you and I grew up without computers. So like, I know, and I was thinking about that the other day, like how short of a time things can change. And like, we only got our first smartphones a decade ago. You know what I mean? Like, it's very I weird. know. And I remember because the first person I knew who had an iPhone was Scott Westerfeld, who's a YA author. Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, look at my phone. And I was like, why would anybody want that? <laughs> so clearly I have absolutely no ability to gauge <laughs> what anybody wants and should definitely not run any kind of technological <laughs> company. Because I was like, so what? Your phone does a bunch of stuff. That's completely pointless. And uh, I was very wrong. So, but I... I also, I was like, also, your phone costs six hundred dollars. So, yes, no. <laughs> I'm not going to get one of those. Meanwhile, I'm guessing you have one of those right now. We all do. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. All, I'm atta- like attached to it <laughs> by the hip because I like listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. And, like, historical podcasts. So, like, whenever I'm doing anything in the house, my you know, like doing laundry, cleaning, you know, petting the cat, I've got a <laughs> you know podcast playing in the background. So yeah, no, I'm, I, I of course you know, have and all of my photos then when I'm traveling are taken on smartphones. So yeah, like I, I fully uh, admit that I was totally wrong about that. But I also was thinking the other day, like I was remembering, uh, I I had gotten a note, um, an email from a girl I went to college with, we were really good friends. And she was like, remember what we used to, even though we lived in the same dorm, we used to call each other every night and talk about what happened during our, the day. And I was oh like, Oh gosh. yeah, that was really cute. And I thought we would just text now, but we didn't yeah. have cell phones. Like, and Absolutely. I started thinking like, do I even remember how that worked? Like if, if my Barbara, my, my friend was like somewhere on campus, did I know how to find her? And I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I can't even like, I have a difficulty connecting with 
like the the me that lived in that time period. And I'm like, and you lived there, you were there. So I know. know. And I survived and it was fine. And I never, I never felt like I was lacking anything either, you know? Um, So it's interesting to look back and think, you know, how much our lives have been changed. Yeah. Even in the past 20 years. I think about that. Like when I was in high school, we, I had a crush on a guy who lived in another state. And so the long distance that was a, my parents were very kind to me, but it was a big deal. Like, Oh yeah. The long distance rate. I mean, I had a boyfriend who, when I was lived in California, I lived in LA. He lived in the San Fernando Valley. It was not that far away, but it was still a long distance call. (laughs) And my parents were always like, stop running the phone bill up. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Um, But going back to the other turn of the century and what you were saying like with the suffragettes and the women, it just sparked a memory of me reading one of the short stories about Anna, um, who's one of the new characters that you kind of introduced us. And she's um, someone who is basically um, exploring her sexuality and challenging stereotypes between what is feminine and what is masculine. And I just love her to pieces. But in one of the bits you wrote, too, you were talking about how, like, you had to honor her decisions but use the verbiage of the time. So you're hoping people can connect with that. And it's like you can't use contemporary language while talking about these things that were, you know, that are more modern issues are more accepted now. And I just found that really interesting. Like, uh, oh, yeah, I never really thought about that. Like, as you having to write that. And like, you know, these are these revolutionary things happening in this time, but yet how how you approach it in a, in a modern writing. I don't know. I just had me thinking about, about her specifically because she's, I don't know, such an interesting character and, and challenges those things, you know? Yeah, I mean, Anna is a fascinating character to write, and I also love her. It has been a challenge to approach writing her character without the benefit of the words that we have now and needing to use the words that they had then in order to retain historical verisimilitude. So there is no words, really. I mean, uh, to just, I mean, Anna's a lesbian. She is, I think we would describe her now as genderqueer, she feels that she is on a spectrum Hmm. of gender identity. Um, But I have not thought about it a lot in terms of how she would identify now, because I know that there's no way that she can identify that way then. Yeah. So she has able to, you know, consciously think, you know, to herself, you know, there are masculine parts of me and feminine parts of me. And I honor both of those, you know, and that is you know, but she's not going to use the kind of, she's not even going to use the word gender, Mm, you know, she's not going to talk about it the way that we would talk about it. So it's, you know, I want to like honor her experience and who she is. Um, I love her. She is, she's awesome. She is. (laughs) She really is a badass. She's like, like, Oh, and it's funny because I am, I am straight, but I love that idea of like, I I think we all know that idea of when you put on an outfit that is so utterly your you and you're like yes this is me this is like for her it was putting on men's clothing but there was like when she got her first like tailored outfit and yeah. she was just like ah oh, yes this is but it also was like I you know she felt sexy because you could see her curves but she's like masculine and which one is she and she like owned it and it's I, I freaking love her so much I do but I just was like I could relate to that even though I'm not in that in her shoes so to speak I was just like I know what I know what that feeling is and that's it's just so cool to see her how you know us be able to experience that with her 
I mean, it's really been fun for me because Anna is also a, she's a play on a particular literary trope, which people who read historical fiction are probably familiar with, which is the rake. Yes. But the, the guy, it's always a man who, you know, was wounded in love at some point in his life or hurt in some manner. And now he he, he doesn't believe in love. He doesn't think love is for him. You know, he is able, because he is incredibly confident and, you know, incredibly sexy, he is able to <laughs> seduce any woman and he can have anybody, you know, any lady he likes, but he's a love him and leave him, mm. you know, and he is, you know, got the swagger, he's got the confidence, he's got the, you know, he's, but he's funny and he's charming and he's fantastic to his friends. And so you love him. And I'm like, I know that guy and I want to write that guy, but I want her to be a woman, mm. you know? So that's Anna. She has all of that going on. And, you know, she kind of lives the life of being like, I don't really believe in love. It's not for me. I'm a bohemian. I love art. I love culture. You know, I love women and I have, you know, romanced many, many girls. And the, you know, the whole idea that like girls just fall at her feet, you know, I love, <laughs> yeah. she like, she walks into a room, some girl bursts into tears and like, you know, runs out. And it's so much fun to, for me because it's playing with gender stereotypes in literature as a writer, you know, to take this particular character who's always written as a man and be like, what if, mm. what if, what if she's a woman? Why can't she, she be that way? Why can't she have all that stuff? And just also happen to be a woman. Yep. But she's still a badass and she's still an amazing, you know, seducer of ladies and women love her. And but does she have that little place in her heart where maybe there might be a special lady? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> that's always the question with the rake. I just I feel like one of the short stories or the excerpts, it was like a group of them and she was one of them. And uh, I don't know, she pulled someone onto her lap. And one of the side characters who was I think it was from the point of view was like, huh, I guess she can seduce two people in one night. And I was like, awesome. Like, it just made me laugh. Like, they were like, huh, I guess. Okay, she's doing it. Cool. Like, it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a there's a point at which they have to break into um, someone's someone's house and steal an object. And they're like, Oh, my God, no one can get past this woman. She's a magician. She's terrifying. You know, she's a warlock. She, she can do anything. She has these great powers. You know, if we show up, she'll just kill us. What are we gonna do? And they're like, Oh, Anna, Anna will her. <laughs> and she and she does they show up at Anna's house. And she's like, seriously? All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's so great. I can't wait to um, spend more time with her in the near future. Um, so you're now working on book two. Yeah. You also have your first adult fantasy coming out next year. Yeah. Which is a totally different series, I'm guessing, unrelated in oh, yeah. every way. So unrelated in every way. What's what's happening there? Do you have any news for us on that front? Well, it's been interesting because I, you know, came up with the idea like maybe two years ago and I sold it, but I knew, but the you know, on the understanding that the publisher was going to have to be really patient because yeah. I had all, the, all these Shadowhunter books to write, books to write, and I didn't want to like you know short out on them in any way. And they have been. My my publisher for my adult books is Random House. The book is called Swordcatcher, and it is a super fun world for me, um, in which the setting is a city called Castellane. It has a I would say like a, a slight Renaissance feel. It's not a medieval fantasy. Um, and this, 
And one of the things that's always fascinated me is the Silk Roads and the history of the Silk Roads and mm. how they were this, you know, amazing thing that was able to kind of bring, you know, culture from one side of the world to the other, and how they facilitated trade and communication between countries and whatnot. And I know that sounds kind of boring, but um, basically this city, Castellane, is like the dead end of the of what is like the Silk Road that runs through this whole continent. And it's also on a harbor. So they have both maritime trade and this other trade. And so the city is incredibly diverse and filled with people from different countries. So pretty much every, while we stay in one city, every country in that imaginary world is represented there. Mm. So it's to me kind of a fun, I don't know, things I've wanted to see in fantasy. And, and for all I know, people have done them, but it, like you said before, I haven't seen it. So, you know, it's a mashup of, you know, these, this, the, it's, you know, a, some Renaissance France with, noodle shops and dumpling houses <laughs> and places and, you know, where you can get, uh, you know, all sorts of, uh, it's hard to like describe without spoiling it in some I know, way. I'm but, like, you I'm know, like I, we can stop if you have to, it's a melting pot. How's that? <laughs> it's a melting pot. And, um, and that has been fun for me to create this kind of mashup of cultures. Um, so it's a great setting that I really enjoy. And, uh, it's been fun to write it, but it's been an interesting process of writing it because basically I've had to carve out months that are free here and there in mm. the years since I sold it and work on it in those months, you know, that are in between kind of other projects. So it's, I, so like I'll leave it and then come back to it and leave it and come back to it. And I think it's been a really interesting process for me because I haven't written a book like that before. And it's fun because I get to think about the book while I'm not working on it. And I'll come back to it and be like, okay, you know, I've had these ideas, this thoughts, this thing that I want to add, this other thing I want to change. Um, and I'm really excited to, to actually finally be able to next year to, to get it out there because I have written, you know, Magisterium with Holly, which was different world, you know, different, uh, magic system than shadow hunters, mm -hmm. but other, but you know, that was a co-written project. And so for me to, on my own, write something that's totally different is fun. I want, you know, I'm really excited to see how people respond. Well, and it's also middle grade versus full adult too. So like the, oh, yeah. the mature uh, options that you have in regards to, you know, politics, sex, violence, all of those things, those more complex um, ideas that you can explore in an adult fantasy too. I'm sure that must've been fun. Yeah. It was really interesting because the characters, you know, are older. And so they have a different set of, you know, interests and feelings. They're not teenagers. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when I, when I wrote middle grade with Holly, I had to adjust down <laughs> like to younger kids and be like, okay, their focus is different. You know, what they care about is going to be different. You know, Cal, when he's 11 years old, he's not going to be focused on whether or not he's got a girlfriend, but he's going <laughs> to be way more focused on his family uh, and his friends. And then, uh, you know, as you get older, different things come into your purview with sword catcher. These are people who are way more focused. It's weird to, to describe it this way, but more, more focused on their work, their jobs, what they do. You know, they all do different things. They're not, as opposed to the shadow hunters, you know, mostly do the same thing. Um, but like, you know, and it in the shadow hunters world, 
it's your destiny. You fight demons. But we're very aware that these kids are not adults. You know, they're not in a place of getting a salary and having a family and mortgage, which admittedly is not something that I really <laughs> wanted to focus on in Swordcatcher <laughs> either. But in Swordcatcher, we have people who are like, okay, I'm a, you know, one of them is a physician. She's a doctor. And she's like, how do I become the best doctor? How do I treat these various ailments using science and magic? And so for me, it's interesting to explore that aspect of uh, being an adult or being, you know, they're in their, these people are in their mostly early 20s. But, you know, what does it mean to have, to take that, that piece that isn't really what you're focusing on when you're younger and put it on focusing on what do I do and how does that define who I am? Hmm. Wow. That's going to be fun to read. I, I love when authors go in um, different places as well, like different stories and different worlds, because it's fun to see writing style and, and, you know, connect with what you love, but also in a totally new and different way. So it'll be really fun. It sounds really interesting and cool. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm a big fantasy fan. So I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> But that sounds great. Uh, also, I won't have to put the sex scenes on my Tumblr. That is true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be complete perv. It's like, all I want to talk about is the sex scenes. <laughs> like, I, but it's, I mean, it's true, though. You can be, you know, you, again, those mature topics. And because and, that's the thing with, that's one of the reasons I still love reading YA as a, um, I will be 40 this year. So as an almost 40 year old, I, I still love reading it because it's so ripe with emotion like it's the first kiss it's like they look at each other and I remember like everything it was everything back then and it's like it's fun to revisit those emotions as a reader as an adult because it's just not the same I mean you can still have a first kiss or a first you know moment or you know first time with somebody but it's, it's still it's just when you're a teenager it's, it's just there's so much more heightened emotion I think in, in that way um but it's but again it's it's fun and different to read it as an adult too so um yeah I think that'll be really fun to read <laughs> um Speaking of reading, have you read anything good lately that you would recommend? I always like to ask my authors if they have any good recommendations before we go. Let me just grab my Kindle and pull up what I've been reading. Excellent. I'm always terrible at this, but it will remind me. Well, I'm um, the same. My Goodreads is like my brain, seriously. Uh, I know, right? Because like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> usually I'm reading three things at the same yep. time. Do you so, do audiobooks? I do. I love audiobooks. Yeah, I do too. Um, but I usually listen to them when I'm driving mm. or again, sometimes instead of a podcast, I'll like do cleaning. Audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of fill the same, you know, function in my life. So let's see. Um, okay. Um, the 10,000 Doors of January. Mm -hmm. I just read is really good and fun and kind of meta about stories, which is really great. And I read A Woman of No Importance, which is a totally awesome and fascinating book about a woman. Um, so a true story, a woman in World War II, she's uh, American, who had been injured in a riding accident and lost one of her legs. Um, she was determined to become a spy. And when the American CIA wouldn't hire her to spy for the Allies, she went to London and they hired her and she became this incredibly <laughs> significant spy in France and turned over and, and you know, like basically changed the course of the war. And wow. I love that kind of story because, you know, I, I just like I love the whole concept of what it is that, of, of, you know, what people who are underestimated can do. Yes. 
Um, and I just read The Goblin Emperor by Kathleen, Catherine Addison, if you've read that. It's I haven't. Really good. No. It's really good. It's Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is a, f- a fascinating kind of reimagining of uh, like fair, uh, fairy, fairy courts and the politics that are happening within mm. them. But there are also, you know, airships. <laughs> awesome. Sold. <laughs> and, and I love mashups. So yeah. um, I'm, otherwise I'm finding a huge pile of um, nonfiction here. So I'm not going to inflict it yeah. on you. But um, <laughs> I mean, I figured yeah. a lot of research in there, too. It's all. Yeah, I was like, what am I reading? I'm reading Istanbul, the crossroads of the world, Venice, a new history. <laughs> City of Fort, I was like, okay, I'm reading about cities because I'm working on stuff for a sword catcher. So I'm like, believe me, no, I'm not going to bore the rest of you with it. But uh, but I did really love 10,000 Doors of January and all the other books I mentioned. They're really fun and I totally recommend them. Those are all great suggestions. And it's great too, because even though this is a fantasy sci-fi podcast, um, you know, I know all the readers read across the board. So it's always good to kind of get recommendations from you guys. So awesome, Cassie. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. And this is really fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful being on the podcast and getting a chance to talk about Chain of Gold and even Swordcatcher a little bit. Yeah, guys, um, if you haven't checked out the Shadowhunter series and you're curious, she has said that you can start with Chain of Gold. Um, I personally would recommend that you maybe start with the Infernal Devices first because you can connect with the the characters. Like we talked about, there are a lot of, you know, revisiting characters that people really love. Um, but yeah, this is really fun to kind of get a little bit of insight into the, you know, your writing process and your creation and of these worlds and yeah it was really fun um and guys thank you for listening we will have another new episode in two weeks and until then uh thanks for listening bye bye